Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Torrance. And I'm Terrell. And this week, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about fashion. Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. On Tuesday, California Governor Gavin Newsom took victory in the recall election that was meant to unseat him, eclipsing an effort by the California GOP to take over the governorship and hand it to the frontrunner of 46 candidates running to oppose Newsom, conservative talk radio host Larry Elder. The recall effort was led by a relatively small number of Republicans in opposition to Newsom's response to tackling the COVID-19 pandemic in California, arguing he took things too far in his effort to keep Californians safe, where currently they are one of the, sta- one of the states with the highest vaccination rate and lowest rate of new infections. The recall election reportedly cost California taxpayers $276 million, prompting calls for reform to the recall election policies in California. Terrell, you originally brought this up with me off air. What are your thoughts about this recall election now that the victory has been secured by Governor Newsom and the final invoice of $276 million landed on the backs of taxpayers? This is when we need Caleb because I can just tell him, hey, can you run that clip from the episode where I said Newsom's probably going to be safe, nothing's going to happen. But if anything, it's going to prove that just because people get mail-in ballots, they don't show up to elections, which is, I think, a great assumption of everything that came out. Um also, I'm I'm intrigued to see if California makes any movement to curtail some of its more lax laws when it comes to recalls, um, as this is now the second time that the Republican Party has pushed for a recall in the state. One time was a success. The second time was not. Um, but very similar to what we talked about in that episode, this the issues that were brought up against Newsom were not issues worthy of being recalled. If you're really that mad about it, wait until the election that's happening in, what, a couple months? Um, Yeah, literally next year. Why why did this need to happen? But I do think there's some interesting takeaways. And I think the Republican Party needs to own the fact that they cannot keep running Trumpian candidates. It's just not going to work for them much longer. Well, I mean, to your original point, I want to say, I mean, the assumption was relatively safe, right? Like, I mean, I think that the media got all up in the, you know, the horse race situation when the polling wasn't looking good, but like there was almost no data, you know, to back up the, the idea that he wasn't going to be safe in this, in this election, other than like the, the small window of polling that took place like end of July, early August that showed, mm-hmm. you know, maybe this was going to be a tough election, but that was hardly believable. And I don't think that many people ever thought that that was going to end up being the case, but you're not wrong that like one, this $276 million was, um, quite frankly, a huge waste of money on the backs of taxpayers in California. But additionally, uh, you weren't wrong when you said that, despite having every ballot, you know, mail to, or you know, mail-in ballots sent to every registered voter in California, the turnout was still pretty low. But also, I think that was also to be expected. I mean, this is not only just like an off year, like you know, as in like a congressional year where there's not a presidential race. This was like in between an off year, uh, mm-hmm. and so like it was even kind of slated to be less turnout. Um, however, I think that it does, as we've talked offline, um, it poses a lot of questions about like the efficacy of sending out mail-in ballots. I, I'm still a, a huge proponent for that, but is it, I mean, we always knew it was going to be a multi-pronged approach to increasing voter turnout. And this doesn't speak, I think, well to that, but also I think you can't look at things in a silo. You have to think about all the influencing factors that impact yeah. this, which largely this is a, an off year. I think most people thought that it was a completely silly recall election. It was uncalled for in the, in, in the first place. And so participating in it was just, I mean, probably came off as a silly endeavor for them. But nonetheless, you know, obviously as Democrats, I am happy that he, you know, kept his seat because I cannot imagine what a Trumpian style, um, candidate uh, like Larry Elder would have been like in California, even if it was just until next year when the gen- when the election mm-hmm. takes yeah. place for the governorship. I mean, it could have been it could have been quite bad. So yeah. I- I'm happy that, you know, that's safe. And I'm glad that we got results quickly, like the to pretend as though this recall had no larger implications is just foolish. Um, California is a huge market. It plays a lot into our stocks and um if this would have been a too close to call that went on for weeks, we would have seen some very mass instability um, in global markets and our, oh. our national markets and supply chain. Like there would have been a lot of things, but I digress. Well, yeah, no, because people can't forget that it is our most populous state, but it's also the fifth largest economy in the world as a state, you know, aside from other entire countries. So yeah, it, 
it plays a big role in, in markets and supply chain and business in general. In an article from Bloomberg, a stark and abhorrently true picture of the American economy is painted, illustrating the breakdown of the social contract between companies and labor that made the capitalism of 20th century America the envy of the world. The article says, quote, around the late 1970s, however, that social contract began to break down. While corporate America has enjoyed booming profit growth and soaring stock prices, inflation-adjusted wages for workers have barely budged. The disparity, the, the disparity is now starker than ever. Companies are minting record profits while millions of full-time workers struggle to get by. The article goes on to explain that the new $2.9 trillion spending bill from congressional Democrats, a proposal meant to quell some of the criticism of how to pay for the originally proposed $3.5 trillion plan, is what they believe will answer for the decades of neglect that average middle and low income American families have faced. The new proposal, inspired by Biden's American Families Plan, supports universal pre-K education, expanded child care benefits, paid parental and medical leave, enhanced health care, two free years of community college, as well as new green energy and climate initiatives. The American Rescue Plan, in conjunction with the new spending bill proposal, if passed, would be the largest investment in the middle class in over a generation. Terrell, we have tracked the proposals and negotiations and discussed mm -hmm. the journey of these infrastructure bills over and over again throughout the past five months or so. What are your thoughts as these negotiations come to a close and the votes will be called to the floor? Um, that I don't like Chuck Schumer. That's the moral of the story. Uh, this bill... Uh, breaking news, everyone. <laughs> This bill should not have as much fanfare. It should, let me rephrase that. This bill should have more fanfare than it currently is getting, but it should not have as much drama as it's already seen before it even reaches the floor. Um, Schumer is making a mockery out of the legislative process by pushing for this to not um, go to committees. He wants it straight on the floor. He wants to get this through before the end of September. Um, and it's causing a lot of harm and it's potentially going to railroad the whole thing. We also have to wait and listen to the parliamentarian to make sure that everything that's in the bill can stay in the bill without it having to change. So there's just a lot of kinks. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, that a well-seasoned senator like Chuck Schumer should have been more prepared for more educated about rather than removing himself from the process and allowing for it to be kind of a cluster. I'm happy that we're talking about it though. I, I mean, I agree with that. I do think that again, and I don't mean to like cop this out because I'm not making, I mean, I'm not really taking a position as much as like on Chuck Schumer, but as we've discussed in the past, right? Like Mitch McConnell, I think whips his um, caucus into shape because for the most part, they, they, they agree a lot more. There's a lot less diversity of thoughts and policy in the Republican uh, caucus. But I think that's obviously the challenge we continue to face is that by the nature of our positions, both morally, ethically, and, and, and policy-wise, it's just much more nuanced, more diverse of thought and policy suggestion, um, and in a much more diverse uh, uh much diverse like options in solution right like where um from our you know more progressives in in the democratic caucus to our more moderate people in the democratic caucus which i think makes especially with with media these days makes it seem a lot more conflicting because we actually have i think a lot more policy-based debate within our own caucus in a way that the republican party does not very often mm -hmm. um but you're right to the to, to your point i am just happy we're talking about this and that i've said it in the past that like there's no reason a two point whatever trillion dollar bill can't be just as good or more effective than a 3.5 trillion dollar bill depending on what's in it and how it's implemented yeah. and so i again wait to see how does this come out from the parliamentarian how does it actually shake out before when, it, when it's going to be put on the floor to vote because i have not lost faith in this in this process and i also think that any added investment in the middle class after the american rescue plan is going to be beneficial to one specifically the middle class but our economy as a whole and one thing i want to add to that too that you um, encapsulated so well there was a lot of fanfare this past sunday because um senator manchin spoke about his non-comfortability with the price tag um and media outlets focused on that but didn't listen to what he said after there were two big things that i i took from him one he wanted to raise the corporate tax he feels like it's been too long for too long and it is one of the reasons our economy has been as sluggish as it is and two he for the first time i've ever paid attention he called out um 
the Republican Party, specifically the push of the Trump tax cut and the reform reformation of the tax code. Um, and those are two key points that he sat on the table and said, this is where I want to start from. If we can fix some of these places and get revenue here, I'm more than willing to start talking about investments. I'm more than willing to start jumping in on um, programs. But instead, our media outlets focus on, he said no. He doesn't like the price tag. Um, uh, He was being interviewed by um, Dana Bash, and she just kept harping on that. And that, that I think, is a very good point of uh, the other party is so unique or so focused on one talking point and being caught up in these identity politics that when you do get to the Democrats and to senators who want to have a robust policy conversation, our media is so attracted to that piece and wanting that one tagline that they fail to capture. Here are all the places that we can start. And that's something that, again, I've said this on multiple episodes, Chuck Schumer, if you're listening, that's where I think this conversation needs to begin. If this is going to make it out of the Senate and really, truly make the substantial changes that we're hoping for. You need to understand that there are people in your caucus that genuinely don't feel comfortable with where it's at and want to do even bigger changes than you're putting in right now. Bring them to the table. Stop just listening to one or two people. But I digress. I couldn't agree more. Let's see what's happening around the world. Afghan women are actively protesting the Taliban's strict dress code for females through the internet. Per the BBC, hashtag do not touch my clothes and hashtag Afghanistan culture um, are being used to share photos of colorful traditional dresses as a counter to the pro-Taliban women's protests in Kabul. Women are... Um, or women on the pro-Taliban side have been rallying um, and are being seen in uh, black clothing, um, really highlighting that women who wear makeup or more modern clothes do not represent the Muslim Afghan woman um, and that they are not wanting to see women's rights be in conflict with um, Sharia law. The social media movement has really reflected the diverse history of Afghanistan that has been lost due to wars and and different conversations, but also highlighting how the real version of Afghanistan is not in perfect lock and step with um, Sharia law and the Taliban's rule. I'm going to skip that one because I don't want to talk about it. Lastly, an estimated 500 Chinese students remain in limbo as their U.S. Um, visas were blocked under the former administrative um, under a former administrative policy. The BBC dives into the story of um, Wang Zue, a 23-year-old finance student at Washington University who is missing out on schooling and has lost their visa for quote-unquote security reasons under the Trump proclamation, China was charged with tactical campaigns to acquire sensitive technology and intellectual property. And in an effort to protect national security, the administration began revoking um, visas to limit the ability for graduates and researchers to steal such technology. As the tensions between both the U.S. and China continue to rise, um, the Biden administration really hasn't signaled which their stance or which way they're going to lean on this policy, but there's becoming a growing call that the administration really understands and recognizes the impact. And we'll be right back. It may not be the first Monday in May, but fashion is taking center stage, not only at this week's rescheduled Met Gala, but also last week's New York Fashion Week and this past weekend's VMAs. One thing that was incredibly clear on every star-studded carpet was the breaking of gender norms when it came to fashion. Before we get into that, Terrell, can we just geek out on the fashion? Who were your favorite looks on the Met Gala carpet? I mean, it wasn't Met Gala, but my favorite look this weekend was definitely me for Boise Pride. Um, oh, Jesus. <laughs> the ego in the room. Okay, where's Beyonce? I'm, I'm just saying crop tops worked it. But I, if we're going to... Speak- Those are a move. And can I state right here that we need to continue the movement of men in <laughs> crop tops, not for anything sexual, because fashion needs to be liberated. 
Thank you. And we were, men wore crop tops in the 90s, but I digress. Um, if we're talking about looks that just killed it, I think from a meaningful meaningful side, um, Lil Nas X, hearing the rationale behind his look, why there were so many changes, how it was his ability to tell his own story of wearing this cocoon and wearing this shell in public that is um, uh, regal and people appreciate being able to take that off and still being in a shell and not fully showing yourself, but showing more of yourself only to later take off that shell and being who you truly are. I think that message was amazing. It wasn't my favorite, but I, I appreciate it. Um, but hands down favorite look was Billie Eilish. I think she looked amazing. The theme was the history of American fashion or something along those lines. And I know you can correct me, um, but I think she encapsulated that the way she carried herself, this traditional look that she had, she's really in, bracing having blonde hair and re-envisioning who she is i just i thought it was um i mean she her nod to marilyn monroe i think it was very tastefully done um the the theme was in america colon a lexicon of fashion so like very broad and it's like my biggest criticism is that like it's overly broad in my opinion which like almost makes it hard like i was talking to you before like I don't think like I struggle to say quote unquote best dress. Like when you have a like I'm just intrigued by so many of them that like with a with a theme this broad, who's to say anyone like, you know, hit it right on the head and, and was the best dress, right? Like there was there were like overly simple uh approaches to the theme, and then there were like very intricate, uh kind of showy approaches to the theme that I thought were really well done. Like, you know, like like you mentioned, I think that that is one of the reasons that I would say Billie Eilish looked great is because you can see what she's wearing. Like that definitely falls right into the lexicon of fashion, the nod to Marilyn Monroe. My only criticism of her outfit was that when I looked at her, I couldn't stop thinking of her Vogue cover because it looked very much like yes, the Vogue I cover. That too. I did. Yeah. And that. so I like, was like, it's beautiful. I love it. I was like, but it's like, I'm seeing you in something. I saw you on, a, on the cover of a magazine, which like, you know, causes me some, like I'm just less, like blown back by it, which like with the Met Gala, that is almost what I'm looking for. And then on my like top picks, Little Nas X was on there as well. Um, and it, even a more nuanced like to his, you know, the narrative he was showing was like, even after he, he, he took off the big robe that was very regal, that like was like kind of his show to the world, that even as after he came out, that that gold armor that he had under that as the second, as the, as the, as the first layer after the um, robe was mm-hmm. like how he used his, masculinity as an armor and how now like in that third in that third uh you know outfit that he was wearing under the two the two layers was very i don't even want to call it you know feminine but like you know i think would be con- considered yeah. traditionally a feminine look um where he's like now kind of like stepping into his light and embracing his identity i mean from from the vmas to the met gala carpet he he slayed i mean he slayed i mean i don't want to like let it go without acknowledging it as a as a queer man that he one video of the year for industry baby. Uh, yeah. And he got up there and he thanked the, the gay agenda. Uh, <laughs> that's that, which I thought was just like really timely. Like, I feel like he really, the one thing about little Nas X is like, I feel like he can read a room really damn well. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't need someone to feed him a memeable line. Like he's a walking meme. And I think that he does that so well. I mean, I think that's why his celebrity is going to be so long lasting. Uh, but back to the fashion um, for me, I walked away really I couldn't stop thinking about a few and I want to kind of touch on them. Yara Shahidi um, wore a Christian Dior, custom Christian Dior channeling Josephine Baker, um, who like people don't know was, you know, was an African-American American born French, um, French entertainer who was both an actress and an activist of her time. Um, It was a part of the French revolution. And yeah, yeah. I got ran out of our country. Um, And it was, stunning i mean not to mention yara shahidi is a gorgeous gorgeous girl but like the 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 gown was beautiful um i also this like you know um this is a really sweet story jack harlow who also is on industry baby with little nas x um he posted an instagram to tell a little more about his look he he wore this like really nice custom tommy hill figure um but he told the story about how his grandpa who grew up in upstate new york would always talk about oh i i grew up right across the street from right across the street from Tommy Hilfiger. I watched him like with his first designs and like watched him build his empire from the ground up. And Jack Harlow never thought that it it was true. But when he got put together with Tommy Hilfiger, he like reached out to Tommy and was like, Hey, like my, my grandpa, like this is my grandpa's name. And he used to always tell me this. And Tommy was like, Oh, like, yeah, I know your grandpa. Like he lived right across the street. Like, and I was like, that is 
really kismet and like super cool and i think that that um like jack carla was like i think this is like the beginning of a really great like fashion relationship and like i just think that that makes like that kind of stuff makes fashion super cool when you have those little anecdotal pieces um that go into it and then um i wouldn't be me if i left my top picks without talking about sean mendez and his michael kors collection it wasn't uh, shirtless that le- le- no it was it just was- that he it that he mm-hmm. looked like mm, baby he looks good uh i just love him if we if we really want to talk about best look, it was Troy Savan. Troy Savan, your angel that, baby. Yeah, that dress, gorgeous. The boots, phenomenal. The fit, everything perfect. Granted, he yes, like he was wearing a black maxi dress, and I did and not, I'm not hating on him, but that yeah. it was so simple. Well, yes, because he's the skinniest twink. Okay, so sometimes Twink's got to look good as yeah, one. Yeah, and he was rocking well. that curvy maxi dress well. But I'm just saying, like, he gave us something. Sean Mendes gave us nothing but skin, which people are like, oh, man, God. Sean Mendes gave like, us uh, Matthew like, McConaughey 1998 VMAs in, no. without a shirt, and I loved it. And then, like, I love Tommy Hilfiger, don't get me wrong, but Jack Harlow, too, like, men's, what? men's outfits can only go so far, and they're just not all that, like, but in theme but in theme we're talking about american fashion this is velvet it's a nice color velvet it fits him well it's clearly been tailored for his body but it's it's me oh geez oh geez oh geez (laughs) no dimension no dimension it was i mean i thought that i loved choice Savon's look i mean don't get me wrong i did love choice Savon's look i just It was just a maxi dress. I, I'm always looking for like what more, right? Like if you're going to step on the Met Gala, which like we would be remiss to say like, you know, people who don't know the Met Gala uh, benefits, the Metro- Metropolitan uh, Museum of Arts Costume Institute. So it is a charitable gala. It is raising money. Um, but I like to see like a message. I want to I wanna hear a story with what you're wearing without you having to tell me, right? Like I want to see, I want to be brought to my own narrative just by looking at you. And all I thought when I saw Troy was like, you look good, Troy. Like, you look cute. Like, you're serving me looks. But what are you trying to tell me? Other than degendering fashion, which, like, yeah. I'm here for, right? Like, 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 what, he, what like and, and that was, well, and I would say that that was one thing that was kind of universal, as I mentioned in the opener, across all of these fashion moments over the past week, um, is that less so women but that's because i think women in some ways have been able to push that boundary a little bit more publicly whereas like men really seem to be like degendering fashion in a way that is like is progressive culturally uh that i'm really behind i mean we kicked this off talking about crop tops because i mean once you put one on and you feel comfortable in it like why would you go back uh right (laughs) and so but i thought like him wearing a dress i mean little nas x ended up in a you know full body tight suit right um we had we had, I mean, even also Lil Nas X on the VMAs, he wore these like suit pants with this like almost looked like a gown top, like with like this cross, like hex up is like his one chest was out. Like it was, it was very she feminine stole from um, Billy Porter, but we digress again. But stole or is Billy Porter like setting an example for the community that little Nas X is like, okay, yes, King. Right? I'll give like, you that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you that. Like, cause Billy Porter wants, I think, to be that person. Um, yeah, he's giving us giving us terrible Amazon Cinderella movie. Uh, I was gonna say, like he wanted to be that person, but then decided to be the fairy godmother in Cinderella, so he can never be that person again. <laughs> I don't know if you watched it as a sidebar, but me not. and Jake tried to because we like we're always like okay, yeah, like let's let's give no. it a shot, right? Like I'm not gonna just prejudge it. We literally only got halfway through. We literally only got halfway through, and like we looked at each other, and I was like, I can't watch this when i saw I that they chose anymore. camilla cabello to be cinderella oh, that's when i knew it wasn't it wasn't meant for me they're better i off. love her but acting is not for her that's a choice that you're making that's a that's a right, choice like, you <laughs> sing very good you dance well acting not for you sis acting may not be for you it can be maybe one day but i think we might need to work on it a little bit more you just reminded me of what my tangent's going to be later. Um, like but, you are not J Lo, <laughs> but J Lo also J Lo's look was actually really really oh, nice. Serving me hat, it was. But great. here's the question I had the whole time: Where was Ben? Ben ain't fucking with the Met. That is not Ben seen. So, ben had like, just spent a whole whirlwind weekend with her on the part on the carpet at Venice. 
I'm just saying she looked a little angry, but I ain't here to gossip today. I'm not Wendy Williams. You, what oh, I you aren't? Did, I've only heard a few pieces of gossip since we got on this mic today. <laughs> what I did want to bring up, though, is you can't talk about best without talking about worst. And I, I would be remiss to leave. Please do tell me. I would be remiss to leave Kim Kardashian out of this with her egregious missing of Kanye West um, and her Kanye West inspired outfit. I just... And as we're talking about like breaking gender norms and and challenging fashion, I just want to understand why. No, that's I think it, and like and some people some people will make the the antithetical argument that like that's the point, right? Like, are we talking about it? And I just kind of said it, right? Like, I want you to feed me narrative. I want you to like make me draw a conclusion, right? But with Kim Kardashian, it's like I and let me say this. Let me preface this because we have time for the conversation. I um, have just been recently listening to um, uh, what's it called? Uh, we are supported by which is the Kristen Bell um, and Monica Padman that uh, podcast that is bringing on women and talking about their lives and, and their contribution. It's it's kind of like an ode to women. Um, mm. And they had Kim Kardashian West on and. I learned some really remarkable things about Kim Kardashian and like saw her from a different perspective and like really felt like it, it humanized her. And so like, I'll, I'll give her that she's, she is more than what I think media and the public sees her as because of how she became more famous. But, but this is the stuff where it's like, I learned that about you. I hear about how brilliant of a, of a, like a businesswoman you are. I'm hearing, I'm hearing you talk about your, you're taking the bar. I, as someone who took the LSAT and is applying to law school, like understand like that's like a very big endeavor. Like no, just no person just goes and takes the bar, right? Like it's not something that you do frivolously. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, it definitely gave me a different perspective of her, but then you, you pull that shit at the Met Gala. And it's like, if you are, if you have that much to offer, why that bullshit? Like why she, she missed Kanye? Because we all know that was a Kanye outfit. Like he's worn that before. Well, and did you see the like that she showed up on the carpet with someone like a male yes. dressed kind of like what you would maybe think is Kanye, but it confirmed is not. Um, but you're the one who asked for the divorce. I digress. I digress. We ain't gossiping <laughs> here. Um, but but no, you're right. I mean, I felt very strongly about that. I was looking at a worst dress list, and I'm a little I'm a little pissed about it because uh, one of the ones I saw had Lupita Nyong'o um, and the worst on the worst yeah on the worst dress list, and I I completely disagree. I thought that she wore a she wore a denim. Um, who was she wearing? I I, I, I did have it. I thought. Yeah, she was, she was, I was trying to look up like who everyone was wearing because I like, you know, like to be informed, uh, but on fashion, she, I can't, I, I want to say she was wearing like, I think it's a blend. No, it's not a Balenciaga. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. I think it's a custom Versace actually. Uh, this, this denim dress that I thought like she served in and she got she was on this, on this worst dress list. And I. I guess that's what I'm talking about when I was saying that this was a very uh, hard theme to have an objective opinion about and then actually be like founded in some sort of like real reason. Like yeah. denim dress actually yells American fashion, I think, in like the loudest so sense. Ways. Right. So, so it's like, I mean, I think on like the fact that like it was the only denim dress that I saw that like it's really hard to say she didn't show up to serve the to serve the theme because that to me really read that way um which is kind of like a, one of the reasons i was talking about sean right like kind of going with that westerny kind of like vibe it's like okay there's there's something inherently american about that uh not that everyone wants it or needs it uh, <laughs> but it was inherently american i thought uh but yeah no i i feel that it was it was some wild looks per always with the met gala yeah. but i en i enjoyed being entertained i enjoyed being entertained uh worse definitely still goes to um allison ray is that her name What's her name? The TikToker. Alice. What? Uh, see, y'all see, we clearly are not hung up on her. We can't remember her name. Well, um, she's have, not worth it, but she she's the I, white girl. I mean, girl. I'm trying to. She's the white girl, the girl who did from, all the She's all that. No, no, what? Addison Ray. Yes, her. That's her. Oh Thank God, you. that's. I mean, if this is not a point for Netflix not giving her a multi-picture deal, I don't know what is. <laughs> two queer, two queer men who are actually into pop culture and film couldn't find out, couldn't remember Addison Rae's name. I mean, Netflix, are you listening? Um, but I appreciated <laughs> that she, her dress was very uninspired, gave me nothing because it fits who she is, and and again, I mean, I just, I feel like so much is carried through fashion, right? Like we've been talking about, there's there's all of these these spaces and places that you can lean in and talk to but 
you have this um, actual callback. Recently, I was talking with a friend, and um, they're involved in music. They actually teach, and they made a reference to a conversation they had with someone that um, they this person essentially said, I'm all for politics, but I really think that yeah, politics needs to stay out of music. Politics needs to stay out of culture in this in this realm, right? And to which they said, well, if that's how you feel, here are all these composers you can never listen to again. Here's all these songs that you can't play, perform, blah. I think the same plays into fashion of Addison Ray is this white TikToker who stole a bunch of dances from black folk. No one supports, no one likes, but somehow got invited to come to Met Gala and shows up in the most mediocre, mediocre dress on the red carpet and just gets to skate by. Meanwhile, we're having a robust conversations about all these other individuals who worked in their art to, to get a ticket to be there. I mean, we haven't even hit on AOC and the controversy that her dress has caused, but it's those type of things that, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad that she ended up being mediocre and not relevant. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I honestly, it would have been real hard for her to be like, I think relevant in a room with all those people. Like she was, she was batting way outside of her, uh, her league. Um, but I'm happy that you gave a nice little segue to talk about our, our good friend AOC, um, who did create quite the stir. I mean, now, now for me, I always take, like, I take an opposite position on, on fashion, on culture, on, on celebrity, on film, television, being mixed with politics. I think that people who somehow think that politics can be extracted from any facet of our life is ignorant to what politics is. Mm -hmm. When we're talking about politics, we're talking about policy, people. There is a root word here, okay? <laughs> and we're talking about the things that that govern our lives, that affect our lives. And at some point, I don't know why we think that our entertainment doesn't affect our lives, the cost of our movie ticket, how much these people are getting paid, how little they pay people who are you know working under them. Like, why is this not political, right? Mm -hmm. So to, 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 to be more specific to the point that you brought up with AOC, she came um, to the Met Gala as a New, York, a New York congresswoman. Most of them are invited to the Met Gala. It is they are not paying a $30,000 table fee. They are being invited as someone who, ha who has a seat at the table for the museums um, and institutes in the New York City area or in the New York State. Um, these are elected officials who oversee funding, et cetera, for these, for these different things. So it's not... I mean, I understand the contradiction being drawn from her being there. I, I, I get that. And I know that that was exacerbated by her wearing a, a dress that said tax the rich. And originally when I saw it, I was like, what is she doing, right? <laughs> then I look into it, right? I look into it a little bit more. She was wearing a dress that was designed by Brother Vey. Or, or, excuse me, not me. I do not want to say this wrong. Uh, yeah, Brother Vey, excuse me, um, who the, the founder, Aurora James, uh, said, we can never get too comfortable in our seats at the table once they've been given, which I think aptly puts when we're talking about AOC going to something like this. Like, she didn't just go upon invitation and wear a nice gown and have a good time. She has the seat at the table and she's continuing to do what she's done at every table she's been at, which is speak about her platform, speak about what she believes politically. And like, do I think that there's better ways to sometimes send these messages? Yes. But are we talking about it? Exactly. It was a comp that that was what was accomplished. Right. Um, I want to like I want to quote Aurora, who is the founder of Brother Vey, who designed this dress um, and is also a participant in the 15 percent pledge, which is talking about um, the, the, the pledge for representation among black business owners and black designers and fashion. She said, quote, we must always continue to push ourselves, push our colleagues, push the culture and push the country forward. Fashion is changing. America is changing. And as far as this theme goes, I think Alexandria and I are on a great embodiment of the language fashion needs to consider adding to the general lexicon as we work towards a more sustainable inclusive and empowered future and i think that succinctly puts what they were doing right like she she brings the she brings the designer a black designer to the met gala who is a working class woman who is not balenciaga is not christian dior is not tommy hilfiger right so i think that there was a lot of thought put behind um her going to it i was someone who when i originally saw her was like what the fuck is going on right but all these people, and I'll be talking about this a little more research in my tangent today, <laughs> just do a little more research and read into things uh, a little bit more before they jump to an immediate conclusion. I mean, I don't know if you sent it to me. I was talking the compilation of the right wing media uh, mm -hmm. when it came to this was preposterous. And that's where I'll leave that. But let's not neglect the intersectionality here, right? For a woman in politics, this is what they're accustomed to. Take 10 seconds and Google Hillary Clinton. 
and especially during 2016, all you got to hear about was her pantsuits. Why did she wear this? What's the significance behind this? She looks too manly. Why can't she wear a dress? Maybe it'll make her look taller. Like, again, as you mentioned so artfully, to think that politics and and um, sexism and racism can't be embedded in all of these things, that you really have so much privilege that you can take this advocacy out of the arts is to prove that you have privilege. And I, while I might not always agree with AOC, I agree with everything you mentioned of she did this to start a conversation and she did exactly that. And the right wing media showed that they don't really care about any, she, her breathing pisses them off at this point, (laughs) but it's also because they don't have a woman to attack like they did Hillary, like they did Hillary Clinton. Nancy Pelosi's attacks just don't stick anymore because no one really cares. Um, the squad isn't as big of the squad as it is anymore. And it's it's this constant reminder from a, a political space for me that we can have this conversation. We can talk about all these nuances that we we're able to see at the Met Gala and the VMAs, but we're still stuck in this perpetual cycle that there is a certain look that everyone has to have. And the minute they break that or the minute one person decides they don't want to like it, um, it's, it's all bets off the table. It's Hillary Clinton in a pantsuit. She's dressing like a man. It's all about power. It's AOC is wearing this tax the rich, but she's at this huge gala, not thinking about the fact that she's actually making a statement. It's little Nas X is being too inappropriate by showing up in little clothing but we applauded Megan Fox wearing this completely nude gown to the VMAs. It's um, Lizzo needs to stop shaking her ass so much and wear clothes that covers her up because she's a big woman, but we'll still applaud Megan Fox for wearing literally nothing. Like it's those things that um, specifically in fashion just drives me up the wall. Well, I think that like it, as to what you said, and also, you know, uh, the compliment also to you that I so artfully said there is like you described what I have always believed. And as we were, were alluding to in the initial conversation about politics and how it, you can't extract it from things is fashion and celebrity and pop culture have always been intertwined with 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 politics. I mean, to ch- ch- toss back to our recall conversation, the last successful recall in California elected actor Arnold Schwarzenegger as a governor. So like, I mean, like, please stop with the, with the, the bullshit argument that somehow we have parts of our life in society that we're supposed to keep ex- like separated from politics when it's just not realistic, nor does it actually honor um, or, or realistically approach what politics is and how it exists in our society. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point that like to the degendering that we were, that we were talking about with little Nas X uh, that, doesn't matter what a woman does right it, it's going to be made political if it's if it from aoc and what she wore the met gala to hillary clinton just putting on clothes to go run her <laughs> campaign and maybe pants because they're a little more comfortable right because she's going to be the leader of the free world but mm-hmm. that was made political because when they have nothing else they will always go back to how they look what are they wearing and the same thing if you can't outright say something homophobic about little nas x you sure as shit are going to say something about what he's wearing yeah. You're going to say something about how he's being too feminine, how he's a bad example uh, for, for young kids, right? It, it's I am pro having the hard conversations, right? Like, let's let's get into it. Yeah, no, and I, let's, go for it. Well, and let's let's talk about the ways in which our traditional society, our Western uh, Christian society has has created this this perspective that we're supposed to have about how men are supposed to dress, how women are supposed to dress, how they're supposed to act, what they can say, how they interact with society. And I think that fashion is a good place to start because what we put on our bodies, what we choose to wear, how we choose to express ourselves is, is on us. Right. And through the little acts of, of, I think resistance against, against the traditional norms in society. Let's not be, let's not say the wrong words, the heteronormative, uh, traditions of society, I think, are ways for us to, to to slowly make the change in culture that will have a ripple effect into what politics, policy, uh, and, and overall in society. So I, I couldn't agree more. And I really appreciate the conversation on that. And I, I mean, um, can we stop pretending like the 90s didn't exist? Like, can we stop pretending like there aren't decades where, like bell bottoms, bell bottoms have somehow become a 
female uh, object of clothing, even though throughout the entire 70s, that was just the pants that you wore. Parachute pants, Mm -hmm. another example. Rompers. All of these things somehow between like 98 to 2000 and I'll say 2012 took this shift of actually I know exactly what happened. Janet Jackson's nipple was shown on live TV. FCC lost their ever natural mind. and was like, we've lost control of culture and we did this amazing regression into um, conservatism when it comes to fashion. But like throughout the nineties, men wore crop tops comfortably men. They wear them in sports and we've allowed for this structure in the space to, to stop and not allow um, to just not allow for that type of expression, to not allow people to feel comfortable in their skin. And then we're confused why we have a mental health crisis. We're confused why we have individuals who genuinely don't know who they are until they're able to get far, far away from their hometown because their hometown never allowed them to do those things. Um, yeah. I And obviously I have a lot of attachment to this coming off of Boise pride, walking around in crop tops and filling the eyes on me, but also feeling comfortable in my skin for the first time in a long time and helping other people feel comfortable. There was a cisgender male that I was hanging out with. Who's like, I wish I could pull off a crop top and uh, a female I was with grabbed his polo and like tied it up and made it into a crop top. And he's like, I need to go buy more. I've never felt so comfortable with like air going across my stomach and going up here. Like I'm not dying. It's not hot. It's those types of things that how do we get here and how we allowed it to stay so long, but also why are we allowing people to attack the icons and the individuals who are breaking those standards or norms? I want to touch on it to two things that you that you pointed out before we close it out. It's like that one, I think that with you know, we're talking about the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and how a little more gender fluid fashion kind of was, or at least was starting to trend, that one of the things, and this is just a theory, so don't let me don't let me like, you know, overstate this, but specifically to the point that I think that with the increase in with the, with the increase in rights being given to LGBTQ plus folk in this country, give, being given to African-Americans and minorities in this country, that there's a deeper threat right, when we're having both rights, the laws, and our culture are shifting in a direction that is deeply uncomfortable for those who uh, you know, subscribe to this um, heteronormative and, and, and Western you know, Christian uh, traditional ideals and views of, of society, right, and the roles of men and women. Um, I think that that's where like they get deeply uncomfortable, right? Because mm-hmm. back then it was like, well, they're not any, they're nowhere close to a right, right? They're nowhere close to winning the victories on the legislative and and um, lawful front, right, constitutionally. But now that we've won those by, quite frankly, assimilating into the, what they wanted us to be. And now we're pairing that with an additional cultural shift and pushing and resisting against what those what those outward societal norms look like. I think mm-hmm. that that makes people deeply uncomfortable. And you know what I say? Fucking let's go for it, right? Um, and then and then secondly to what you said about about men wearing right say wearing crop tops. I do this like with wearing like a bag, or I, I really felt this way once I started wearing a fanny pack a little more often, like across my chest as a, as like a normal kind of bag. Is that yeah. also it also is just fucking practical. Like <laughs> having a bag with things you need in it right there, right? Like women get to wear purses and it's like, well, why do women always have all this stuff? Is it's the motherly nature or is it because they have a bag they can put band-aids in and lotion in and hand sanitizer in and like useful items in, right? Like, yes, they have motherly <laughs> nature, but also is it just practicality kicking in, right? Like, I'm not joking. This is the thing that no, probably like very grinds my gears more than anything, like the way you were alluding to crop tops and like not being hot and being cooler, right? Like we get taking off the sleeves and wearing a tank top because we're hot, but apparently cutting off the midriff would just be <laughs> two steps too far. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it just really is silly to me because when you bring logic in it, into it and you like talk about the practical, the practical factor in it, it's like, it's just fucking silly at the <laughs> end of the day. It just is. It just really is. Um, but you know, I do digress. (laughs) I digress. Um, but again, here, I think we got into like, like some, some intersections between fashion, pop culture, politics, gender norms, um, really handle the gamut there. Uh, we'll be right back.
All right, Torrance, take us on a tangent. Yes, please. Um, as some of you may know, there is still a raging global pandemic occurring. Just some breaking news. Um, but my <laughs> tangent this week has to do with um, and Barb's. Please just take a seat for a moment, okay? Not coming completely for her, but kind of the reasoning she gave. So we talked about the Met Gala here in the, in the episode today, and one of the things that was notable this week in reference to the Met Gala was that Nicki Minaj tweeted something about how she uh, wasn't why she wasn't at the Met Gala is because she's like, oh, you, I'm not going to get if I'm going to get vaccinated, it's not going to be for the Met Gala. And then, you know, responded saying that, you know, she needed to do more research before she was going to do to get the vaccine. Right. And yeah, I'm annoyed with Nikki, but I'm not really making this about Nikki, but rather this consistent narrative of people who don't want to get the vaccine saying they're going to do some research when the people who have said those words to me that they need to do their own research. I don't think know what a fucking annotated bibliography is. Okay. I don't believe you're going to do your research. I don't believe that you're going to look into a peer reviewed a peer reviewed study on the vaccine. I don't believe that you are going to do that you're going to do um, additional research to make your decision, but rather using that as a reason for not getting the vaccine, despite having no real medical and scientific facts to support that. If that's if you want to flex your civil liberties and you want to do your research about this, I applaud you. But do the fucking research, okay? And stop talking about it. If you if you want to do the research, go do it. Stop talking to me. Go do the research. Figure out how the scientists and the medical ex experts have basically done a miracle in record time to save our lives across the world. Go do the fucking research then. If I can just add, if you're willing to get ass shots or get horse tranquilizers shot in you, but won't get a clinically proven safe vaccine, you can take several seats. You can fuck off. And I am a huge Nicki Minaj fan. I love the artistry. I but fuck like, with, the, with, with the discography. This was too far. But this you have silicone far. parts that were made for toys, okay? <laughs> Don't tell me that you are so concerned about research and a vaccine. That's why she's the Barb. Terrell, how about you take us on a tangent? I'm glad that we're both angry at pop culture right now. Um... <laughs> After just talking about it for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> laughable if i could just talk to hollywood for a second like come come sit down next to me we need some original content we need some we need some thought we need the remakes to stop i gave you a pass with Candyman. it wasn't awful i have my complaints i i still think that we're pandering to a certain population that doesn't need to be pandered to but i digress i gave you that cinderella you just, you just finally, after so many years, allow Disney Plus to put the best version of Cinderella on a streaming network for us to watch. And then you make With this Brandy. fucking mockery of Cinderella with Camila Cabello. And like, I need Jinkies Valma. I need you to stop. But the reason I'm really mad about this is not either of those two examples. The reason I'm mad about this is because I saw on Twitter today that Warner Brothers is going to remake The Bodyguard. <sighs> Why the fuck? Why? Because they need money. Why? And probably Dolly Parton's like, I want to see what new royalty check I get for having my song played. No disrespect to Dolly Parton. She's no one better try I to resing that song. Someone like, have to. You have to resing that song. That is literally the song of the movie. And like, I know that this is all coming because A Star is Born had Lady Gaga and it was a remake and it was phenomenal. She carried the role. She did the thing. But we need to stop. Specifically, the bodyguard. Yeah, but Babs isn't dead. Like. <laughs> True. The, the bodyguard is perfect. It did all the things. It brought in this, this, this storyline that people needed in the moment. And. Just like you mentioned, Whitney Houston has passed away. That is her legacy. That is her living legend. No one can live up to that. You and I off air were just talking through options. And I gave two, two people that I would entertain, but I need to watch their audition tape and I need to get final approval. And that's Brandy because one, she is um, Whitney Houston's goddaughter. But two, they had a really close relationship Brandy can't sing notes like Whitney did, but I she can provide some of the the acting that I think Whitney did. And um, Chloe, those are the only two individuals that in my mind in this moment right now can even come close. Maybe her because she has the soulful popness, but she doesn't fit the brand. Like, why are we doing this, Hollywood? Why? They're 
there has to be a screenplay from some uh, artist who is struggling right now, who's at a coffee shop. Pick it up. Like, do that. Don't remake something that we already love and enjoy and don't need. <sighs> it's also like, who has the, like... No one. As, as, as a female actress, right? Like, not even, like, the skill, but who has the gumption to bite off that piece of Hollywood? Like, I don't know about that, quite frankly, right? Like, anyone worth their weight in gold in Hollywood, I don't think would, like, make the incredibly unintelligent decision of allowing themselves to be cast in that role. I mean, like, to me, it just, I mean, I'm not trying to intrude on your tangent too much, but no. my, my God, like, it is, it is, there's remakes and there's, like, like dropping an atom bomb like this is a serious bad decision this is a serious bad decision i mean i can't think of one way this would go right and quite frankly if they found it then applause to them but like i don't anticipate being impressed by At any all. means for a number of reasons like who is in that boardroom who is in that boardroom i swear to god there might not be any black people in that boardroom because <laughs> no one is going to say that no yeah. one is going to say yes let's remake the one movie that whitney really shined in that like her performance was good, her Wait singing was good. It was iconic at the moment. Like I just don't know that anyone's gonna be able to step into that. And I, yeah. I literally no. I one. caution against it. I caution against it. And it has to be one that goes to HBO before it goes to the movies because no one's going to see that in the movies. No one is taking that much of a chance with that movie. Will I watch it if it comes out? Probably. Well, depending on who the person is. But I'm only watching on HBO Max because there's no re no way I'm spending money to go see that. Only to walk away disappointment and disappointed and have to compare this artist to Whitney Houston for the rest of their time. Like that's that's just disrespectful. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. I I don't know what to do about that. And I would also be remiss not to take a moment in my tangent to shout out to you, to Caleb, to myself. Um, as we hit our 50th episode, who would have thought that we would cross this space? And actually, in a few weeks, we hit one year. So we're going to have to talk about celebrations and parties and all that jazz. So to our loyal listeners, be on the lookout for some information to follow. And we missed you, Caleb. Nah, I wouldn't go that far. They never say that when I'm not here, guys. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us. Um, at dangerouslylikely at gmail.com be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes I'm Terrell I'm Torrance and we are dangerously likely to see you next week 